and welcome. Natural physics will explain in down-to-earth scenarios how the principles of physics could have come about from observing nature. Each episode begins with a scenario followed by an example to illustrate the application of these principles in futuristic research at the frontiers of science, such as my astrophysics research, and then concludes with an exploration of how these same principles could have very well been used by ancient cultures and civilizations. Mathematics is naturally encountered and incorporated as the exciting and fun tool of science that it is. Science is the window into our amazing world of nature and mathematics is the tool to open that window. Natural physics encompasses current, futuristic, and ancient physics and ties them together by the principles of physics that are common threads running throughout each. Greetings. Greetings. I'm Leroy Larry and welcome to Natural Physics, live from Costa Rica. I found out last Friday that we have 3,000 listeners around the globe. That is just so awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I memorized this. These are the countries that were listed in the statistics report. Sounds real fancy, right? <laughs> okay. United States, Colombia, Germany, Singapore, Canada, Japan, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Spain, and India. That is just so cool. Hey, and I want to make sure that y'all know that there's a, a, a video that you can watch anytime. Like right now, as we're broadcasting our podcast, we're being live streamed on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. I don't know a whole lot about Twitch. Kind of a funky name, right? Twitch, like Twitch. <laughs> okay. But anyway, um, and as these are being live streamed, they're being recorded. So you can go and watch them anytime. Just go to Facebook, for example, click on videos and type in natural physics episode one and we'll come up. And another thing, I found out that uh, after every Wednesday's broadcast, it's rebroadcast on Fridays at 7.30 p.m. Costa Rica time. Okay, now I got to say this. 7.30 on a Friday night. Back in the day, you're talking Dallas and Miami Vice. And you don't even want to get me started on Miami Vice. That's one of my favorite TV shows. Probably the only TV show I watched every week. Okay. I just want to make sure that y'all were aware because there's really cool videos that we play that you might miss out on. By, by just listening. So yeah, check out, check out the video live stream at your convenience. Okay, now our sphere, our 10 ton sphere. Okay, now we instinctively know that it's gonna be easier to roll it as opposed to pushing it 
in a straight line across the ground, right? We, we just know that. But again, back to the equations of physics and math, there's actually equations that tell us why it's easier or that it would be easier to roll it as opposed to pushing it. And it involves friction, okay? Now we've all experienced friction, right? Uh, you walk across a carpet with friction and you actually get a shock if you touch something. Friction, which is the phenomenon in nature that describes when one surface rubs against another uh, surface. And again, we've, we all just instinctively know about that. But how awesome is it that somebody, again, with a whole lot of experimentation, tried to figure out how to describe that phenomena through mathematical equations? So let's take our sphere, 10 tons, right? The weight of it, gravity acting upon its mass of 9,300 kilograms. Okay. So, we talked about the work involved in moving it, right? Which would basically be to pick it up and walk a certain distance. From physics, the equation is the work that would, that would be involved, say, for example, of picking it up, or let's say the Hulk, <laughs> the Hulk picking it up, right? And walking one meter. The physics equation that describes the amount of work that the Hulk did in doing that is the weight of our sphere 10 tons times the distance that he walked in carrying it, one meter. Now, again, you want to be a scientist, you have to be consistent. We stay within the meter, kilogram, second system. So we would have to convert um, those, uh, well, we already got, oh, okay, so work is equal to force times distance, okay? Mass times gravity, times the distance. We have our mass of 9,300 kilograms. We have gravity, 9.8 meters per second squared, okay? And we have the distance, one meter. So if you plug in those numbers, you will get how much work was done. Now, let me make sure I did that right, because in previous episodes, being too excited, <laughs> I misquoted myself in certain equations. So again, work is equal to force times distance. The force on our sphere is its weight. It's mass times gravity. And the distance, we have one meter. So I'm good. I'm good. I just want to make sure I was staying consistent. So when you plug in those numbers, 9,300 kilograms for the mass, 9.8 meters per second squared for gravity, which is the weight the force on that sphere and the distance of one meter, you'll get the amount of work that would be required by the Hulk to carry our 10 ton sphere um, one meter. Okay. And the power that the Hulk could exert in doing that task would be the force times the time that he took so let's just, say he, let's just say he took one second. Let's say the Hulk could pick up our 10-ton sphere, and in one meter, he could do that in one second. 
So the power that he exerted in doing that would be the weight of our sphere, mass times gravity, times the time that he took to do that, one second. Okay. But now we're really talking about human beings. The Hulk is a comic book character. Human beings, millennia ago, that somehow were able to transport this 10-ton sphere. The human capability to do that. Okay. So they had to instinctively deal with friction. Were they going to push it or roll it? Do you ever think that there was a reason why they made it a sphere, that it was easily transported? Because instinctively, again, we know that it's going to be easier to roll it than to push it. And you know why that is? Because the contact of our sphere with the surface of the earth is more if we push it as opposed to if we roll it, right? You roll it, different elements of its surface are in contact with the ground a very short amount of time compared to if you push it. If you push it at the bottom of the sphere, there's going to be an area that's going to be basically constantly in contact with the ground. And that area is going to stay constant as you push it. Whereas rolling it, just a little bitty part of the sphere is in contact with the surface, with the ground as you roll it. Much, much less amount of friction. Now in physics, there's an equation that involves what's called the coefficient of friction. Sounds real fancy, doesn't it? Whoa, coefficient of friction. What could that be, right? All it means is that the amount of contact that one surface has with another surface. That's it. There's a coefficient of static friction, and there's a coefficient of uh, kinetic friction. <laughs> and all it says is that Static friction is something when something is just sitting there. I'm sitting in my chair here, static friction. Okay? But if I was to kind of start moving back and forth, you got uh, movement, coefficient of, of kinetic friction. That's all it is. That's all it is, okay? Equations, fancy terms. They describe what we already instinctively perceive with our senses. And our senses are the most important things in the world. It's how we interact with nature. We have five senses and we use them to interact with nature. Okay, so again, instinctively we know that it's going to be less friction to roll that 10-ton sphere as opposed to pushing it. So I have a couple of videos I'm going to show that illustrate that phenomena. Now, remember how we talked about how special Costa Rica is uh, with respect to um, the rest of the world, with respect to whoever built these spheres picked this locality. Uh, so <laughs> that's very cool. And you know we have the blue zone here in Costa Rica, right? The area, there's five blue zones in the world where people live longer. One is here. I think one is in Singapore, Denmark. I forget the other two, 
But what if the spheres are involved with that? Longevity of life, right? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out by using physics and mathematics. So now I'm gonna play these two videos and I want you to think about my theory that this ancient indigenous peoples actually knew about rotational motion. Rotational, the word in physics for motion is kinematics, kinetic energy, the energy of motion, as opposed to potential energy, the energy of something stationary within the Earth's gravitational field. What if these people knew that using rotational physics, that the amount of friction involved in transporting that sphere would be less by rolling it as opposed to pushing it. And when you think about that, then there's modes of transportation you can use that you're gonna see in, in these two videos. Hey, you dig a trough in the earth, you roll it, <laughs> there you go. Now, before we get to these videos, I, I, I must mention that, as I said, my first encounter with a Costa Rican sphere was on the University of Costa Rica. But actually, I had actually encountered a sphere before that, in high school, no less. Okay, get this. Now there's this book, if you can see it, Gods from Outer Space. Now the author is Eric Von Donegan, who had written a previous book called Chariots of the Gods. And he had a lot of sensational theories about the alien connection with the human race. And some of them, some of his theories are not to be discounted. I mean, they're out there, but whenever you think out the box, you're gonna be out there. That's what the world needs. Think outside the box. So Von Donegan had these theories he looked at different archaeological evidence and made his connections with the possibility of extraterrestrial influence. Okay, that's a very cool field. And you know about the recent uh, government um, government reports of UFOs, Navy pilots have been seeing unexplained phenomena. The government discounted it started from Roswell back in 19, I think, 49. And so there's a lot of interesting things happening with UFOs now. I mean, the government is actually admitting that they're observing technology that we don't have. And hopefully China and Russia doesn't have, <laughs> right? That would not be a good thing. <laughs> no, not in their hands, okay? No, not even. Uh, so again, there's, there's real things going on right now. Unexplained craft that are being admitted to by official Navy pilots, right? One of them even said she wouldn't have come forth with what she saw unless the other pilots did, okay? So, hey, it's real. It's real. 
it's uh, not drones. No, I mean, these things move at speeds that we aren't capable of against the wind. They rotate, they disappear at the blink of an eye. Oh, we're dealing with something here beyond our technology. And again, I really don't think China and Russia have that capability. So unless Atlantis is down in the ocean somewhere, sending up spacecraft, there's only one explanation for where this could be coming from, right? I mean, come on. And you've seen illustrations of the deep galaxy, the universe. Thousands of galaxies, thousands of galaxies that contain millions of solar systems that have planets that orbit. I mean, you really think that we're it. Okay, okay, I'm going to leave that subject because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> All right, so back to our sphere. Okay, so we'll get to these videos so we can get to Mariella. Because, okay, last episode, Mariella talked about the fact that she has a friend who actually talked to the Baduka, and they told him that the spheres were meant to predict lunar eclipses. Now, okay, you have solar eclipses and you have lunar eclipses, and you know that a solar eclipse is when the moon passes between the sun and the earth. And a lunar eclipse is when the earth passes between the sun and the moon. So the fact that not only uh, these spheres predicted eclipses, but lunar eclipses, right? Which are distinctly different from solar eclipses distinctly different. And as I said in the last episode, it was my first, I've read a lot of literature about the spheres, archeological and whatnot. And literally this was my first time hearing that, the, uh, that they were meant to predict lunar eclipses <laughs> and that they had a calendar, just like the ancient Egyptians, just like the Mayan, the Aztec, <laughs> right? So what we're going to do, I'm, I'm so excited about this. You know, I was excited about thinking I had discovered, oh, our sphere is 100 tons. <laughs> okay, 10 tons, all good. But what if we're able to reconstruct? And Mariella mentioned that the current day indigenous peoples do not know how to use the spheres as a calendar. They do not know how to use this calendar to predict lunar eclipses, whether it was forgotten or whether they were told not to tell. But how cool of an endeavor, especially with the recently discovered uh, sphere that was reported in the media. And again, it's, it's, it's just kind of, kind of jacked up that a lot of the spheres were removed from their positions, their original positions. And science is called insight 2 I-N space S-I-T-U, insight 2 
that's where it was. Unfortunately, many of them were removed. And some of them were even blown up because there was a myth that there was gold in the middle of them. So there's no way for us to know the original positions of these spheres, but let's, let's endeavor to try to maybe reconstruct that ancient Baruka lunar eclipse calendar, huh? How cool would that be if we could do that? All right, so I'm gonna hand it over to Mariella. Oh, we're gonna play these videos, two videos, and again, think about the rotational kinematics involved, right? And all I gotta say, the second video, I never knew the title of that game was Shoot the Moon. Never knew that. My first contact with it was eight years old, the Boys Club of Omaha. I remember that game. And interestingly enough, I remember playing it from the opposite end. You'll, when you watch it, you'll see what I mean. We started from the other end and, and did it, okay? Oh, and before we leave, the spheres, my connection. First time encountering a sphere, 2013, University of uh, Costa Rica. But get this, in this, this book that I showed you earlier, okay, which I read as a sophomore in high school, I was 15 years old, on page 84, there's this. Okay, I don't know if you can see it, but it's the Costa Rican sphere, okay? Costa Rican sphere right there. Yeah, it says, um, okay, that's the Costa Rican sphere. And I'll read from it. It says that the stone ball, diameter seven feet, one inch, stands outside a building in San Jose, Costa Rica as a decoration. So this is not my sphere on the University of, of uh, Costa Rica, but evidently when I was 15 years old, I actually read about it, but I didn't remember it whatsoever. But isn't it, I call it cool creepy. You know, when something happens to you that is just, it's cool and it's creepy. <laughs> evidently I had read about the stone spheres in high school. And here I am in Costa Rica, actually able to stand next to one. So again, let's play these two videos Think about the fact that these primitive people, they did physics, kinematic, rotational kinematic, rotational motion, as opposed to straight line motion where you have more friction sliding something across the surface, as opposed to just rolling it. Okay, please, let's play these videos. All right. You are now watching a Lucky Penny Shop product feature. Hey, it's Lucky Penny Shop, and it's time for a game called Shoot the Moon. This was uh, manufactured by WMF Druk & Sons. I'm reading down here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This game has been out for quite a long time. They still make it. They have this as game number 1959, fun for the entire family. 
It goes by other names as well, so maybe you've seen it as another name, but it's still the same principle. You put the game on a level surface. Now that's important. Level. Place rods in parallel position with ball at lower end. By spreading the rods apart, maneuver the ball to drop in the 5,000 or best possible score. If ball falls in earth pocket, you lose 250 points. High score wins. Any number may play. Well, there you go. The box is in okay shape. It looks pretty neat. The graphics on the side. So let me move this out of the way because I have already taken it out of the box. And this is shoot the moon. So what you're doing is you're placing the ball way down there, which I'll show you in just a second because I do want to flip it over. So it's just a wood base. And you see this constructed. You can actually make this. People will make this on their own. But this one here has the point structure. Let me show you that. So there is the earth. That's the minus 250. First is 250. 500 is second. 1,000 is third. 2,000 is fourth. And when you shoot the moon, you've got 5,000 points. All right. So remember what it said? Make sure things are level. Well, here's a level. This will tell me if my table is level from left to right. And as you can see, it's pretty spot on. So we'll leave that level there. Then I need to level the table from the other direction. So I will put my level here. And then I will adjust my camera. Hold on and show you that level. Okay, so I have my camera off the tripod. And as you can see, it's a little off level. The front of the table dips down slightly. So now I just need to raise that a little. Here, I'll show you that. Hold on. So if I raise this side of the level about that much, it makes the uh, level pretty spot on. So let me show you now so you see how level we are. Okay, so now we're pretty level, almost exactly in within tolerances, sixteenths of an inch maybe, one direction or the other. But I would say we're ready to go. So let's set up the shoot the moon now. Okay, so these are the spacers I've added to make this perfectly level and it's a solid base it's not going to move and then now we are pretty much set so we're level that way we're still level this way and I will move this level this level is sitting on the paper okay so you can see it right here still level we're good to go I just need to maneuver this way now Okay, can you see this level? Why am I going to these extremes? Because if you watch people do this, you've got to make sure that it's level because they can kind of trick you and uh, move it off level. So let me put the ball up there. Now let me go a little higher here so we can get the whole thing in perspective. I need to back up just a little. Lots of prep for a simple little game, huh? Okay, so you see the 5,000 here? I'm going to give it a shot. Here we go. I need to move this just a little so I have a little room on the right here with my hands. Okay. Not bad. 2,000. 5,000. 2,000. Ooh, 250. 
Oh, off the board. Let's do it again. Ah, minus 250. Two thousand. Ooh, I didn't drop it soon enough. All right, so what am I doing? I'm moving it out, and when I move it in, it creates the speed because you hit it just before the ball starts to fall all the way down here. Ooh, that didn't work there. Now that was a double. I kind of went out and in twice, and it gained more speed. Let's do it again. Five thousand. See that one? Another five thousand. see now how level this is. It just fell there and it didn't roll in either direction. Now I make it look easy, don't I? Well, I have to admit, I practiced for a little while just to make sure I got some skills going. You know, it's not as easy as you as I'm appearing it uh, to be, actually. See, sometimes you drop, sometimes you do the minus 250, or like that. I just wasn't paying attention. Now, it looks like there's a copyright on here of 1959, so I wonder if this is a real old version of it. I don't know if 1959, now that could be the copyright that the game was invented, not when this game was made. Ooh, I will keep going. Bad. I wonder if anybody's been writing down my score up till this point. I wonder what the rule is, too, if you let it roll back. Or you can make a rule for that. That's minus... 500 if you do that. Sometimes I let it roll back because I know it's not going to make it and I'll just start over. Well, I'm not sure. I've showed you how the game is played. Oh. Oh. Now I'm going worse. Alright, here we go. Last time. Let's see. If I can get to 5,000 on the last try. Nope. Nope. <clears throat> well, for me, it's fun. I find it challenging to try to figure it out. So leave a comment below if this was one of your favorite games or you remember family time playing this and everybody tried to get that 5,000. And thanks for watching. It's really appreciated. Later. <laughs> okay. Okay. So number one, I never knew it was called Shoot the Moon. And number two, evidently me and the rest of the boys in the boys club, we were putting the uh, ball bearing, the steel ball bearing, 
at the opposite end and using the rods to try to get it as far to the other end. Okay, but again, different methods, it's all good, right? And on that note of being all good, um, I'm totally cool with the theories of extraterrestrial influence. I think it'd be ridiculous to rule that out. However, there is the ingenuity of the human being, right? What's that saying? Uh, invention or necessity is the mother of invention. The human race has always had the capability to come up with stuff. So we never want to rule that out. Okay, so before I leave you and we get to Mariella, think about, let's say you got our 10-ton sphere and it's wanted to be moved one meter. So you dig a trough, like in the clip of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is one of my favorite movies. You dig a trough one meter in length at an incline, and you get enough individuals, male and female, or both, I'm, male, male and female, right? Enough to push it. And we still got to figure out how much force, work, and power it would take to move it. But once you get it moving down that trough, you got Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You got the sphere rolling. You're letting gravity do the work for you. And with our game here, let's say you have two uh, tree trunks. <laughs> tree trunks joined at one end that you can move back and forth. Evidently, you'd have to have a lot of individuals on each tree trunk. But let's say you were able to somehow get that sphere or, or, or you, you dig underneath the sphere and you put two tree trunks, like the two rods in the game, and you hoist it up and then you're able to do that. You're able to uh, vary the width of the tree trunks with the 10-ton sphere on it to move it. Just thinking different things. Again, our ancient ancestors were ingenious. They obviously knew things that we do not know. So I will leave you with this. I think it would be quite an endeavor to try to uh, gain what knowledge there may still be about the Baduka lunar eclipse calendar and reconstruct that because it's been lost. It's, it's like many of the other artifacts of ancient knowledge that have been lost, whether due to just forgetting or due to being told to forget. <laughs> okay, so let's go to Mariella. And evidently half hour is not going to do it for us this episode. Okay, we're good. Hey, Mariella. All right. Hey, Leroy. How are you? I'm good, Mariella. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I recall your video with the quote of Jean Piaget, who says that play is the work for childhood. My play students, for example, love, right, love to say that in the English class, they were playing. <laughs> 
Nice. Yes. Yes. Oh, and you know what? Let me just say before you, let me just say one thing. You saying that you know somebody that actually uh -huh. talked to the Baduka, that's you know, word of mouth, right? I mean, so many things of ancient knowledge that weren't written down are mm -hmm. uh, right. communicated by word of mouth. So your friend who was told that by the Baduka, that's that's just so cool. Okay, I just want to say that. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, definitely Boruka hides or keep lots of information, amazing information. And I would like to share something to you today. We have we've been talking about the spheres that are located in their area, in the Boruka area. And I want to I want to let you know who they are. I'm very happy for you to be here. And I'm I'm so happy to be able to share information about my country, about Costa Rica with you. Borucas are um, an indigenous tribe located in Talabanca. It is 20 miles, around 20 miles from uh, the Republic of Panama. They are known by their artistic, by their crafts. They are they create beautiful masks and they have tried during the time during the years they have tried to well actually during the centuries they have tried to keep their traditions and there are some legends which I want to to mention and to describe for example the one called the diablitos the devils it is called the dance or the game of the devils it means that well the villagers the, the indigenous wear their masks their devils and they try to reach or try to hit another one which is um a bull it is a mask of a bull and it represents the Spanish, the Spaniards. So it means they are fighting against the, the colonization. So in that case, they kept their traditions alive and actually they can be self-governed. They are part of Costa Rica, part of Costa Rica, who have their own government rules. I want to to share one of the legends, which is called the two sisters, dos hermanas in Spanish. It is it says that in when they were young, when the two sisters were young, they used to go to the river and they spend lots of time on that river in the waterfall. So people started to to ask why they were spending lots of time in the river. And they realized that the two sisters had a relationship, probably they were in love with, um, with a creature, with a strange creature. And they tried to separate the sisters to that create creature, but they didn't want. The sisters didn't want to to move away 
and they kept going to the river. So the villagers decided to kill the sisters. So it is supposed that the souls or the spirits of the sisters are still alive, are, are still in that river. And they sometimes uh, people in the, in the village see that the river is red or there are bubbles. So they believe that those are manif manifestations from, from the sisters. It's very interesting. This legend is very interesting because of the spirituality and, and the creator. But also, I, when I was investigating and I, I saw some images, I saw the rocks. The rocks in that river, the villagers, the villagers say that they were made by elves, which is very interesting. And those rocks have shapes. They have different shapes. They look like bathtubs. They look like some animals. Actually, I saw one which was like an elephant. So I asked myself, how come an indigenous tribe built or created um, an elephant in a rock? And how did they knew or knew or, or learned about an elephant? Those are some of the amazing, incredible stories that you can hear about the Borucas. But the most important is that they, until nowadays, they try to keep their traditions. They used to, to gather every night before the technology came to the village. They used to gather and the elders used to tell these legends and stories. Of course, there are more legends, but I want I wanted to share with you this one about the the devils and also the the two sisters. As you can see, this this culture have beliefs. They have spiritual thoughts, and it's very important. The religious part for them is really important nowadays. Here you can see some masks, some of their masks. This is, they are very colorful and detailed, as you can see. This is one of the walls. This is another one, colorful too. They are wooden, wooden made. And there is another one. Okay, and then you can see some of the rocks in the river. Next, you can see like a bathtub next. Well, this is like an elephant. And it says that the elves made the shapes like bathtubs. 
And let's see another one. Mm -hmm. They don't look like rocks. They look like they were made, like forms that they that were made by someone. And the Borukas Borukas think that the the elves made them. What do you think, Larry? Oh, that's so cool. And you know what, <laughs> Mariella, it brings to mind that <clears throat> you know how uh, in different parts of the world, indigenous peoples, they have a name for different localities. Uh, River of the Devil, uh, uh, Plateau of the Dragon. And I've always believed that there's a reason why places have a name. I mean, the people saw something, they observed it, and they tried to describe it with a name. So you saying how the elves, they say that the elves made the holes. And you know, another thing, Mariella, is that uh, those images that you showed of the mass, some of them are very similar to African uh, masks that I've seen. And some of them are very uh, similar to Japanese, you know, with the tusks, the teeth, the very ferocious looking being. So yeah, there you have a commonality of the, of the races around the earth that root back to myth mythology, a common human knowledge about things that went on in the past that they tried to describe in the best way that they knew. So your holes of the elves, so cool. <laughs> so cool, yes. Mariella. And, Thank you so and much. And something important. <laughs> Thank you, Leroy. Something important. What are the elves? Are they real ones? Are they <laughs> spiritual yeah. creatures? Or you know, okay, I have an example. Now, huh? this might get me in trouble. I don't mind getting in trouble. Okay, what <laughs> if you're an ancient human and you yeah. observe somebody flying across the sky, right? Okay, now, let's just say we have a visitor from out there somewhere that has an anti-gravitational device that allows them to fly across the sky. Now, now if they have a rocket belt on, again, our ancient ancestors, they were intelligent with nature. Of course. And they knew things that we don't. So let's say this ancient human observes another human flying across the sky. They don't hear any kind of a noise like a rocket jet propulsion belt or anything. They just see somebody floating across the sky flying now as an ancient human what is the only living creature you know of that can fly i mean you got insects of course but birds mm -hmm. right birds so birds. in mm -hmm. your attempt in your attempt to describe what you're seeing which is i mean you see two arms 
two legs, a head, torso, and they're flying across the sky. So you figure, okay, that's a person, but they're flying. So in your attempt to describe that, what you're seeing, what do you do? You take a human being and you put wings on them because you see that individual flying across the sky. Maybe that's where angels came from. I don't, again, this probably will get me maybe in some trouble, but <laughs> hey. And, but, but, but then again, when you talk about angels, you get into the supernatural, and we all know that there's phenomena that exist that scientific instruments do not measure. That's okay. Hey, I think it's cool that there's things that are unknown that we can't we can't put a finger on. So um your elves holes, elves, gremlins, uh leprechauns, unicorns, all these mythical figures. I truly believe that they came from somebody seeing something and they try to describe it. Like in the case of a unicorn, I really don't see somebody sitting around saying, oh, let's put a horn on the forehead of a horse and call it a unicorn. Maybe they saw something. Maybe they saw something. I mean, there's so many things that existed in the past that we have no knowledge of was never written down, word of mouth. So um, uh, with your, you know, with the Baduka and uh -huh. um, them telling your friend that the sphere, okay, this is what I'm thinking. Now, lunar eclipses are distinct from solar eclipses with respect to the movement uh -huh. of the sun, the earth, the moon. So. For a calendar to be based upon the movement of the moon, oh, I think it would be so cool to try to maybe try to figure out. Uh, in other words, I'm saying let's look at what solar eclipses are, you know, the movement of the sun with respect to the earth-moon system and lunar eclipses, mm -hmm. and then look at the spheres. Some of them are still in sight too. They're still in their original locations, and who knows what what ones are out there that haven't been discovered yet. That they're they're still in the ground. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm very interested in seeing if there's a way to somehow correlate. How would you place the positions of these spheres that would allow you to keep track of the movements of the moon? with respect to the earth and with respect to the sun in order to have a lunar eclipse. I mean, that's just, when you said that, that the spheres enabled the ancients to predict lunar eclipses, which is more, you know, I'm not sure which one occurs more often, solar or lunar, but I, I, I'm kind of thinking lunar eclipses might be not as often. So you have a more specific functionality right of this calendar. So, and like I said, that Baruka calendar, which I never heard of before, is right up there with the Egyptian 
Celtic calendar that's based on Sirius. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, the Mayan calendar, it's right up there with it. Mm -hmm. And I never knew. I never knew that the Badukas had a calendar based on lunar eclipses. So for my part, I'm going to really start looking into that and seeing if we can somehow uh, get a start at recon and whether they've been told not to divulge that knowledge to the rest of the world, or it's been forgotten. Wouldn't it, it, it'd be just cool to try to reconstruct what that Baduka lunar eclipse calendar right. might've been. I, I think that'd be so cool. Right. So, Oh, I, I got my jollies for the day. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, <laughs> so Mary, yeah, you know, I'm an astrophysicist and I, I just, it's all tied together right. nature. I mean, it's all nature. Right. As you said in that episode, astronomy, astrophysics, mm-hmm. all of it comes from nature. All of it, all of right. it comes from right. our, our ancestors trying to get a handle on nature. So, uh, okay. Um, Okay, uh, Mariella, um, you know, we're coming up on an hour. I didn't know an hour could pass so quickly. Uh, And so uh, we have five minutes. So anything you would like to to, to add that you've already awesomely, awesomely added? Okay. (laughs) Well, actually, what we, we wonder most is how they how the ancient or the indigenous got the, the information. Because as you said, we can compare the, well, at, the, at those times, there was only the, the Maya calendar and that the masks have similarities with the, um, um, what you said, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. Uh, African and Japanese culture. African, yeah. you said Afri- yes. And how how they got their those similarities? Because nowadays we have lots of information that we can find in, from other cultures, but how they did at those times? Yes, very mm-hmm. true. It's, it's very so true. Interesting and. And also another important thing that I would like to mention is that they say that before the technology came to the village, they used to gather, all the villagers used to gather to hear the stories of the elders. So probably they they don't know now how to use the spheres because now we have technology and we're supposed to to predict eclipses or to yes to predict eclipses with our technology with with recent yes. technology right satellites and yes 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 right. uh, you know it's all good modern technology and to couple that with ancient knowledge can you imagine the portals and you know i want to use that word can you imagine the portals that could be opened by combining that knowledge base? Uh, and so, um, again, this, this is part of our show. 
we have no bounds. And uh, when I said the Twilight Zone meets Cosmos, that's ex this is exactly what I meant. I meant not discounting what ancient peoples said. I mean, they knew what they were talking about. There was a reason for them to say the things. They weren't just making it up like, oh, in 3,000 years, somebody's gonna, you know, they're gonna read this and they're gonna say, oh, no, why would they? No reason to do that. Uh, it's not like the local royalty would bestow upon them riches because they said this and that. No, human beings, I think, they say what they saw. They they say in the best of their ability to say they have no reason to make up uh, things. So uh, that's part of our show, and we will continue. So I see we have one minute left. So let me say to everybody out there, join us next week. Tune in. And Mariella, thank you so much. Oh, you're... What you've opened, the fact that you have a personal connection with what the Badukas know, oh, that's unreal. Okay, so everybody, <laughs> it is so cool. It's so cool. Everybody, tune in next week. Join us. Same fat time, same fat channel. <laughs>